Thanks, Dave. Good morning. You know, you hear preachers sometimes stand up and say, it is great to be standing before you this morning. I've got to tell you, it is really great to be standing before you this morning. I want to say again, thanks for all the cards and the good vibes, the encouragement, especially the prayers uh, on my behalf. And, um, you know, it's great to see Mark and Betty and Debbie with us. And, you know, I'm, it's great to be part of a church of praise. And great to be worshiping a God who hears our prayers and acts on those prayers. I want to remind you that next Sunday starts our 9 o'clock service. You can get here at 8.30 if you want, but we're not going to start till 9 o'clock. So that's a change. Uh, next Sunday, worship will begin at 9 o'clock and then kind of follow the regular uh, schedule from there. But 9 o'clock starts next Sunday. Last week... I shared with you, you won't remember this, but I shared with you a little bit of history from World War I as I opened my lesson. This morning I want to share with you a little bit more recent history, and I'm going to warn you, it's politics, but I promise it is not political, okay? But it leads to a question that I, I want us to consider as we talk about the armor of God. When George H.W. Bush was running for president in 1988, he made a promise that everyone remembers. And we remember the very end of his promise, but I want to give you his whole promise in, in, in its entirety uh, and, and then uh, to, to talk about it just a little bit. Here's his quote. He's talking about his opponent and himself as they're, as they're running in the campaign process. He says this, I'm the one who will not raise taxes. My opponent now says he'll raise them as a last resort or a third resort. But when a politician talks like that, you know that's one resort he'll be checking into. Ha ha. My opponent won't rule out raising taxes, but I will. And the Congress will push me to raise taxes, and I'll say no. And they'll push, and I'll say no. And they'll push again, and I'll say to them, and here's the part we all remember, read my lips, no new taxes. A statement that, of course, came back to haunt President Bush about two years into his presidency, in an effort to kind of fix the ailing economy, he was forced to increase tax revenue. And the headline in the New York Post the next day said, read my lips, I lied. <laughs> you know, politicians, I guess, are famous for making promises that for one reason or another, uh, they don't follow through on. There's whole websites dedicated to all the promises that politicians make that never come true. In 1916, Woodrow Wilson, running for re-election, ran on the slogan, He Kept Us Out of War. That was his slogan. 29 days after his swearing in of the second inauguration, uh, we entered World War I. 1928, Herbert Hoover promised a chicken in every pot and a car in every backyard to boot. Eight months after he took office, the stock market crashed. We entered the Great Depression. FDR promised, your boys will not be sent to fight in a foreign war. FDR is also famous for saying, yesterday, November 7th, 1941, the day that will live in infamy. And we entered World War II. 1980, Ronald Reagan promised, if he's elected president, he is going to reinstitute uh, voluntary prayer into schools. And of course, that, that never happened. 
And I could give you examples, I guess, just about every politician who ever took office who made a promise that for some reason wasn't able to deliver on. And because of that, we've become a little bit cynical when it comes to politics, right? We're, we're, we're a little bit jaded. We hear a politician make a promise, and we, we sort of take it as a, with a grain of salt. Uh, we found it very difficult to trust someone when they promise that something's going to happen that will change your life forever. This is so big, this is so good, you'll never be the same. And we kind of shake our heads and say, okay, we'll see. And I think, I'm afraid, that maybe people kind of view us Christians that way. We talk about all these great things, all these great promises. You know, this is going to change your life forever. And people hear what we say, but then they say, well, you know, I don't see that in your life. What you're talking about doesn't exactly line up with the life that you're living. Your, your talk doesn't exactly match your walk. At the end of Paul's letter to the Ephesians, Paul gets really practical about what this Christian life actually looks like. He gets down to, here's what this actually looks like. And he says, hey, kids, here's how you need to interact with your parents. Then he talks about that. He says, hey, dads, here's how you need to interact with your children. And he talks about that. He says, those of you who work for someone else, here's how you need to conduct yourself in the workplace. And he talks about that. Those of you who are uh, uh, you know, over someone, who, who have some authority over people, here's how you need to treat those people that you have authority about over. And he talks about that. He says, here's what these Christian concepts look like in real life. Here's how the Christian life is meant to be led. And then right after that, he goes into this passage that we're looking at for a few weeks, what we call the armor of God. And what Paul is saying is, if you are going to live the life that you really want to live, if you're going to live those promises that you're talking about and you're counting on, then you're going to have to put on some armor. Because as hard as you are working to live that life, the enemy is working to keep you from living that life. By the way, those examples that I started with, you know why Woodrow Wilson and FDR had to break their promise? Because the enemy attacked. And you know, someone had to make a stand. All those good intentions kind of go out the door when the enemy attacks. It was Mike Tyson who said everyone has a plan until they get hit in the face. Then you've got to make a stand. So Paul spends some time talking about the importance of being ready when this enemy attacks. Because if our walk is ever going to match our talk, we've got to be ready to stand and fight the enemy. Uh, the last couple of weeks, we have read these nine verses that deal with the armor of God. We're going to read them again this morning. I want you to be really familiar with this passage. It's in Ephesians chapter 6, toward the end of the chapter, end of the book. And here's what Paul says. Finally... Be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. The most important verse in this whole passage, I think. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then, 
with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Last week, we talked about the belt of truth. This morning, I want to talk to you a little bit about the breastplate of righteousness. And I've already mentioned several times in this series that the people in the first century would have understood Paul's imagery a little bit better than we do because they would be more familiar with what a Roman soldier would be wearing. But when it comes to the breastplate of righteousness, even us in the 21st century, we can kind of understand that because, you know, our military today, police officers, SWAT teams, all wear some version of a breastplate, something that covers, you know, your front and your back. Why? Because there's really important stuff right here. <laughs> if I'm going to get shot, if I'm going to get stabbed, if I'm going to get beat, if I'm going to get speared, and it's going to be right here, I want this covered up. I got a lot of really important stuff right there. And the most important thing that I have right here, of course, is, is my heart. I want to protect my heart. You know, we live in a time and an age where people can live without a kidney. Some of you are doing that. People can live without gallbladder. You can, you can live without a spleen. You, you can live without uh, a pancreas. You can't live without a heart. Your heart has to be protected. If our heart is not protected, we become very vulnerable. And Paul knew the importance of protecting against heart attacks, of an enemy that attacks our heart. And it's not just Paul, by the way. You read it all through the Bible, even in the Old Testament. Uh, back in Proverbs 18, a man's spirit sustains him in sickness, but a crushed heart, who can bear? Psalm 34, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Psalms 147, he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. God is a heart healer. But Paul wants us to know God's not just a heart healer. God is also a heart protector. God's desire is to protect us from, from heart attacks. And to do that, he offers a piece of armor, a piece of protection. And he calls it the breastplate of righteousness. So let's connect a couple dots here between Paul's analogy of a soldier and his teaching of uh, Christ followers to put on the breastplate of righteousness. And I want to be sure that we understand something that some people miss and sometimes we get a little bit sideways on. When Paul talks about the breastplate of righteousness, he's not talking about our righteousness. He's talking about the righteousness of Jesus. Your heart's not going to be protected because you're so righteous. Amen. Your heart's not going to be protected because you know, you're so good and you're so capable and you're so got it all together. Your heart's going to be protected because Jesus is righteous. And that's really one of Paul's themes in the whole book of Ephesians. Probably his major theme. Talks about all the blessings that we have in Christ Jesus. 30 times, 32 times I think it is, in the book of Ephesians, Paul talks about the blessings that are found in Christ. He begins the letter in Ephesians chapter 1 saying this, In Him, talking about Jesus, in Christ, we have redemption through His blood the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. 
Then when he writes the book of Galatians, Paul's going to say this. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. Paul says, when you were baptized, something happened. You drew a line in the sand. You made a, 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 pro, a proclamation. You made a decision. Jesus is my Lord. You were obedient to that command. And in baptism, you were clothed. You were covered. You were protected with Christ, in Christ. So Paul's instructions here in Ephesians is we put on the breastplate of righteousness. And by the way, no other breastplate will work. No other breastplate will do. Not the breastplate of education. Not the breastplate of perfect church attendance. Not the breastplate of memorized verses. The breastplate of righteousness that will guard our hearts. Part of wearing that breastplate of righteousness is learning to live with what we have in Christ. Learning to recognize the blessings that are ours in Christ. Some of you might be familiar with the Yates Pool in western Texas. It's not a swimming pool. It's an oil reserve. Back around 1915, Ira and Ann Yates moved to West Texas with the intention of being farmers. But they were really bad farmers. They tried to grow vegetables, but nothing would grow. The land was just too dry. It was too hot. Nothing worked, so they decided to be ranchers. But they were really bad ranchers. And they couldn't keep the cattle alive. Again, the, the, the ground was just too barren. The, the temperature, the, the, you know, this climate was just too poor. And they were in the process of losing everything. For 12 years, they worked their land with absolutely nothing to show for it. They lived in extreme poverty. And finally, when they were getting ready to enter foreclosure, a representative of the Transcontinental Oil asked Ira if they might be able to drill an exploratory oil uh, well on his property. He had nothing to lose. They never found oil that far west in Texas, by the way. But he said, sure, I've got nothing to lose. They struck oil at 1,000 feet. The Yates Pool is one of the largest oil uh, fields in all of North America. A billion barrels of oil have been pumped out of the Yates Pool. It's estimated there's probably a billion barrels left there. Obviously, Ira and Ann Yates became multi, multi-millionaires. Shortly before he, his death, uh, Ira made this statement. All that time, I was living with nothing when I could have been living with everything. It was right there. I just didn't know it. You know, I think that so many people So many Christians live with nothing when they could be living with everything if we would just tap in to the blessings that are found in Christ. Part of wearing that breastplate of righteousness is learning to live with, learning to live in the blessings that we have, to live with, to live in the goodness of God. I'll give you another characteristic of a breastplate. A breastplate identified the person who wore it. And only soldiers would wear a breastplate. Breastplates were given to soldiers, not just people that were back in town. People back talking about a battle, they didn't get a breastplate. 
It was the people who were in the front lines, the people who were in the battle. Not only that, but the breastplate would identify the soldier. It was the largest piece of armament that a soldier would wear. And it would have markings. It would, it would have identifying uh, designs on their breastplates. A soldier was identified. You tell a soldier's allegiance by the breastplate that they wore. So when Paul tells us to put on the breastplate of righteousness, we're to put that on as soldiers. We're expected to do battle. But if all we do is talk about battle, you don't really need a breastplate. It's during the fight that we've got to put the breastplate on. And it's kind of interesting. In Ephesians 6, Paul is actually picking up on some imagery found that's back in the Old Testament. The, the prophet Isaiah, in Isaiah 59, said this, The Lord looked and was displeased that there was no justice. He saw that there was no one. He was appalled that there was no one to intervene. So his own arm worked salvation for him, and his own righteousness sustained him. He put on righteousness as his breastplate and the helmet of salvation on his head. He put on the garments of vengeance and wrapped himself in zeal as in a cloak. In the context, God is confronting his people who are so preoccupied with worshiping God in the temple, getting all the rituals right, that they were, they were ignoring people who were needy. They were ignoring people who were hurting. They were neglecting the poor. No one was there to intervene. There was no justice. God's people weren't acting like God's people. So God takes it upon himself to make things right, to help the poor, to help the needy, to help the suffering. Read, read the book of Isaiah. God himself is pictured as putting on the breastplate of righteousness. God is identified as righteousness. But what kind of righteousness? Well, a righteousness that exhibits itself by paying attention to the poor, to the needy, to the suffering. The kind of righteousness that uh, prompts us, causes us to do something. Now, it's not just about where I stand before God. It's about what I'm standing for. If you go back to the book of Ephesians. Paul has something to say about serving those who are in need as an expression of living in the righteousness of God. Ephesians 4, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what's helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind, compassionate, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. We wear the breastplate of righteousness in an attempt to make something right that went wrong. The breastplate of righteousness enables us to be identified as soldiers of Christ. It empowers us to be active, be involved in, in the advancement of the kingdom. You know, I've always heard that there's only one piece of offensive armament, one piece of equipment mentioned in this whole section that, that, that's, that's not defensive. I don't think that's right. I think the breastplate is very much an offensive piece of armament. Yeah, it protects us, but it also enables us. It empowers us to move forward. 
to, 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 to be in a lead position. We tend to take ground or to reclaim ground. When I put on the breastplate of righteousness, I'm preparing to move forward. I'm empowered. Let me share one last story before we wrap up. Erwin McManus tells a story about sending his nine-year-old son to a week of summer Bible camp. And his boy came back from Bible camp and he was uh, traumatized. Apparently they talked about this passage a lot. They talked about uh, warfare, spiritual warfare. They talked about the evil one. Uh, they talked about the powers of this dark world, about Satan, about demons, which is kind of tough for a nine-year-old you know, to, to, to kind of wrap his mind around. So his son gets home and, and he's scared to death. Uh, nighttime comes and he doesn't want to go to sleep. He doesn't want to turn the light off. He's, he's asking his dad to spend the night in his room because he's too afraid to go to sleep by himself. So his dad says, son, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray that God will keep you safe tonight. I'm going to pray that God will isolate you, that God will remove you from any danger. And he prayed that prayer over his son. In fact, for a week, he prayed that prayer over his son, that God would isolate you, that God would keep you safe from, from any danger. But for a week, his son is still just traumatized, is still just petrified, can't sleep at night. And finally, the father said, son, here's what I'm going to do. I'm not going to pray that God will keep you isolated. And I'm not going to pray that God will keep you removed from all danger. Here's what I'm going to pray tonight. I'm going to pray that God makes you dangerous. I'm going to pray that God makes you a, a soldier for Christ. I'm going to pray that God uh, clothes you in, in the armor of God. And so that when you feel like you're being attacked by an enemy, the enemy will know that you're a soldier of Christ. And if he's going to come at you, he's going to have to go through Jesus first. That's a good prayer. You know, that, that's a good prayer. As soldiers of Christ, we should be considered armed and dangerous, right? Again, not because of our own righteousness, but because of the righteousness of Jesus who fights with us, who fights for us. We wear armor, not because we're hiding in a bunker somewhere. We wear armor because we're on the offensive. And when you go on the offensive, people shoot at you. Now, if you're living your life and you feel like um, you haven't been under attack, it's a pretty good sign that you're probably not anywhere near the front lines. If you feel like the enemy isn't attacking me, you're probably nowhere near the front lines. And yet, that's where we've been called to be. We've been called to be on the front lines. We've been called to be on the offensive. We've been called to be armed and dangerous. We've been called to stand firm with a belt of truth buckled around our waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place. Let's go out this week. Let's be armed and dangerous as we advance the kingdom. We've got a song that we're going to use as a song of encouragement this morning. Uh, if as a church family we can help you in any way, we invite you to come to the front.
and let us know. Let's go ahead and be standing uh, while we sing.